Hi, I'm Neville J. McKenzie, and you're listening to Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. You're about to listen to the 13th in the series of 15 episodes that were created for the Entrepreneurs Asia website, the magazine website founded and created by my colleague Max Henry. In the first cast, I gave you a brief background to the series. I hope that you find the series interesting and informative. As you continue to listen to the series, please visit my website at asiabizstories.com. That's asiabizstories.com. And please leave any comments or suggestions. So now, without further delay, let's begin. Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. In this episode, I talked to Thomas Koenig. Thomas has had a successful career working in Asia. He worked for the American Express Company from 1969 to 2000 and started work in China as a sales manager in 1980. He retired as senior VP in charge of Sales Asia in 2000, which saw him personally experience the phenomenal growth and development of China and the Asia region in general. In 1999, he started the Koenig Group and since travels to Asia and around the world giving seminars to leading companies, helping to create training programs to develop key people in those organizations. He is also involved with entrepreneur groups at many levels, and it was at an event organized by Entrepreneurs Asia that we met. He presented his five reasons why companies fail. These cover pricing, customer communication, valuation communication, leadership, and the business plan and model. And this is the main topic of our discussion today. So it was with great pleasure that we discuss with Thomas his five reasons why businesses fail. I'm with Thomas Koenig today. Thomas, I met recently and he kindly agreed to me um, having a conversation with him here today. So Thomas, can you introduce yourself? Well, my name is Thomas Koenig. I'm from uh, uh, California in Shanghai for a little bit of business right now. Uh, as far as my career goes, I was with the American Express Company for over 30 years, retired around 15 years ago. And since then, I've uh, been uh, working in the uh, corporate training business and uh, been coming to China for 15 years and enjoying it. And I do a little bit of work in Europe, and uh, that's about it. Oh, thank you. We met uh, an entrepreneurs group. Um, how do you see the role of entrepreneurs in Asia, in China, well, and the future? Obviously, entrepreneurs are the, are, are the things of the future. I mean, all jobs are created primarily through entrepreneurs and startups. Uh, so in, they have the world uh, in their hands right now. They're going to create all the jobs. They're going to create all the wealth as we go forward, particularly in countries like China, also Africa, those type of areas, Indonesia, Thailand. So it's, it's the only thing we have to go for us as far as jobs are concerned. Remember, Government-owned enterprises don't create jobs. All they basically do is get rid of jobs. They're inefficient. It's the entrepreneur 
who's the efficient person in the marketplace and who's going to drive jobs and profits. So if an entrepreneur decides that he wants to or she wants to um, create something new, um, how should they go about it? What should they be thinking about in terms of, um, say, price, their product, and the service group? Well, if you're thinking about going in business, you've probably heard this a dozen times, but the first thing you have to do is write a business plan. you got to get something down on paper that really makes sense because if the business needs some money, you're going to have to go to some type of a venture capitalist to get the money. And they're not going to even talk to you if you don't have a business plan. But the first thing, write a professional business plan. If you've never done one before, just go to the internet, do a Google search, dozens and dozens of business plans will pop up on your computer. Just use them as the model. You'll be fine. I've heard you say that a company can compete in three areas, price, uniqueness of product, and service. A customer service, correct. Yeah. If you're a new entrepreneur, what do you need to consider? Well, as I mentioned yesterday, if you're a new entrepreneur and if you have a unique product that you can patent or if you have a unique service that no one else has, you're in the driver's seat. The world is your plum. It's all you can do is charge whatever you want to do and don't worry about the competition. But as I mentioned yesterday, if you're a small guy and you have a patent, don't think you're safe because the big guys in the market are going to duplicate your product within weeks if they know it's successful. And then you're going to spend the next 10 or 15 years defending your patent. And since your pockets aren't that deep and theirs are, chances are they're going to win. But and when, I, when I say win, when, what I mean is, is after you've spent years trying to defend your, your patent, they'll simply approach you and simply just buy you out. Which is fine. If you have a good enough patent, you can get rich that way. But that's what's going to happen. You see it all the time with the, the Facebooks of America, the Apples, the Samsungs. That's all they do. They wait you out a few years, take you into court, take all your money, and then they buy you out. Because remember, entrepreneurs are the people who create the innovation in this world. It's not the big guys, it's the small guys. So those companies you mentioned, they were fairly innovative in themselves. So, in the beginning. In the beginning. But once they get too big, innovation ends. It ends. And, and, and it's all created by the small guy who's starting a new business. Take a look at all the apps you see now coming onto the market. Those are small little guys. Those are guys who are working in their garage who think of a new app. They sell it. They make a couple dollars. And if it's a great app, the big guy is going to duplicate it and then you're going to be fighting. Second one, we talked about pricing. If you're going to be the low price guy, in other words, compete on price alone, eventually you're going to go broke. Simple reason is it's just you took an account from someone because of low pricing. Someone's going to take your account because of low pricing. When you start off, your overhead is nothing. You're working out of your apartment. You don't have any uh, employees, no benefits for the employees, probably no taxes, no insurance, so you can keep your overhead down. But once you become successful and get a nice account, eventually you have to move out and start paying rent again, hiring employees, 
a benefit and your costs go up. But once again, just like you were, there's also a guy sitting in his garage right now doing the same thing you did. And he's preparing to take the same account that you took from Alaska. You don't want to get into a pricing loop. It's always a losing battle. So then that leaves customer service. That leaves customer service. That means that uh, you want to provide a selling experience so great that price is not the big issue. That people just want to do business for you, with you, I should say. They enjoy the, the, the commodity, the, the location, the, the warranties, the guarantees, uh, everything about your business. And that basically is customer service. A person wants to shop with someone where if the product is bad, they know they can get a refund. They know they can be repaired, replaced without hassles. That's customer service. And if I was to compete on anything, I would want to compete in the customer service area. Once you have a good loyal customer, that's it. They're loyal. They'll stay with you forever. When you start up, you're not in a, maybe possibly you're not in a position to provide good customer service. So would it be in one case you start off being the low cost and then as you develop experience, then you build on that? Or do you no, try no, no. and produce I, the customer I, I, service I, I, right from the start? Yeah, I disagree with you. You have to have the customer service right from the start. You get to think, what we all want is customers. And boy, when you get one, you want to keep them. The old saying is it costs you 20 times the, the cost of getting a new customer as it is to retain one customer. You never want to lose a customer. And you keep that with customer service. Talking to them, having conversations with them, dealing with them. Stay close to your customer because your competitor wants it. And he's hiding over there behind the bush. And as soon as you walk away from that customer, he's going to jump out and try to get Okay. Once you've got your business up and running and you're thinking, mm, things are going along reasonably. I'm, I've done my business plan. I'm improving my customer service. I'm working on these things. What are the other reasons why a business can fail? Well, let me say this, that once you have your, your, your customer and your business is up and running, be sure to hire the best accountant you can have. People go out of business because they run out of money, and there's many reasons why you can run out of money. Hiring yourself a good CPA accountant is critical to a good business. You must have it. After that, I'm talking about how you can fail. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, the number one reason people fail is they, they fail to, to communicate with their customer. It's always customers. That's what it's always about. Customers will tell you how good you're doing, how poorly you're doing. They will tell you what type of products and services they need. And all businesses basically are uh, market-driven. That is, they go to wherever the market takes them. A customer will tell you where he's going. Follow the customer, you'll do okay. So, and another reason let me point out is we talked about differentiation of your company as opposed to the other customers. If you can't differ from your competitor, why would your customer come to you? They would only come to you for one reason, or maybe two. What would that one, be? One would be location, yeah. you know, be close to you. But the second one, he's going to come to you for pricing. If there's no difference between you and your competitor, the only thing you're selling once again is price. And if you're only 
uh, Cyprate, you're going to lose. But can you give any examples of where it would be difficult to, um, say for instance, uh, you have a um, a convenience shop. Okay. You mentioned you mentioned right. a convenience right. store right. yesterday, and you mentioned that they're very similar. They sell the same products. They, they sell the same product. They, they, they sell milk and, and, and Coca Cola and bread and and all the same products, and they all sell them for the same price. When you're an individual and you buy a franchise, there's a promise that you're going to make money. But you haven't thought about it. If I'm a convenience store, what separates me from all the other convenience stores? The only thing I can think of is the location. Because the, the products are the same, the pricing is the same, so the only chance you have to survive is to have a better location than your competitor. Because in convenience stores, as in most retail, Foot traffic is what counts. If you have 10,000 people walking in front of your store, you'll do better than a store that only has 1,000 people. It's always foot traffic. You take a look at the uh, major uh, shopping centers here in, in China. Take a look at what the foot traffic is on the first floor. Take a look how it diminishes on the second floor. Worse on the third floor. Terrible on the fourth, fifth, sixth floor. The guys on top are not making a dime out there. It's only the guys on the bottom floor. Of course, they're paying the higher rent because they're on the bottom floor. But it's always foot Always foot So if you're a business, you have to think, um, how can I differentiate? If it's difficult for you to differentiate, you have then to you, think... Then you're in trouble. Yeah. So you have to think, where are my customers? Where are the potential customers? First of all, you have to wonder why you went into that business to begin with. Yeah. But... To survive, you've got to sit down there and you've got to think of a difference. I don't know what it is, but you've got to think of something. Because if you can't, you're back into the pricing game. And that's a loser. Another reason you mentioned that people can fail is a failure to communicate their valuation yeah. in, proposition. In a clear, concise way. Yeah. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Well, some people have a great story about the business, but they simply don't know how to tell it, or they're telling it in an inappropriate way. That's why it has to be a clear message. My business is this, 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 and this. And it must be in a concise way. And concise simply means using truest words as possible to get the message of it. In writing, they always say, uh, uh, the fewer the words, the greater the message, or the greater the impact. In the last one, you have to be compelling. You have to give me a compelling reason to come and visit you. If you can't give me that reason, why should I come and visit you? There has to be a reason. It has to be compelling. It can't be that you're in, in the business of, uh, of a convenience store. There has to be a reason. Those are the three things you must have. So, I am. if somebody says, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur, um, the entrepreneur is the, the founder, and yeah. as a founder, you may you may start off. You may be the only person in the company initially yeah, on day one. Day one, yeah, day one. You're the only person in the company. Um, you then have some success. You start right. to recruit. You start to recruit. Either you find a co-founder, you find uh, people to work with you. Right. Um, that puts you in the position of being. Potentially the leader. Well, so, not potentially, you are the leader. You are the leader. So, 
is a leader born or do you learn to be a leader? How do you become, how do you yourself make yourself the leader? Uh, leaders are made, they're not born. Uh, the greatest example of that is just looking at the military. You know, when you go into the military, you may go in as a private, but if you're a good leader and you follow the leadership skills they teach you, you can go all the way up. Uh, it's, it's so difficult to explain what a leader is. It's such a hard explanation. But uh, you got to remember this: that the, the leader, of the, the company CEO, must always be a leader. It isn't good enough to be a manager. Leaders always hire managers. Managers never hire leaders. To be, you, you mentioned a, a moment ago, what I think a great leader is. And I think he has, he has to have four good skills to drive it, as far as employees goes. Number one, a leader has to be a great recruiter. And when I say recruiter, I mean you never stop recruiting. You recruit 24 hours a day. You don't wait till a position is open and then go out and recruit. You're always recruiting. Uh, if you're sitting in an airport, you're talking to someone, you're recruiting. If you're sitting next to that person on an airplane, you're recruiting. You take his business card. If he's smart, you make a few notes on the back. This guy's a sharp guy. Put that his business card in your desk. Who knows when you're going to need someone? Six months from now. But you don't start recruiting when you have an open. Number two, once you've recruited great people, you have to be a great trainer. You can't ask people to do a job if you haven't trained them. Number three, you have to be a great motivator. Most people don't work close to their capacity. And you're really lucky if you get 20, 30% from a person. The only time you really get 100% when there's something involved like his life. I mean, if a tire's chasing me, believe me, I'll give you 100% to get out of it. But if I'm working in a job, I'm giving you 20, 30%. That's a motivated job. To get him to give you as close to 100% as you can, but no one gives 100%. Nobody. So how do you get somebody to give 100% or give as close to 100%? Oh, you know, you can read many, many books on motivation. But just remember this. There are two types of motivation. There's positive and there's negative. Now, both of them work. But negative motivation is only short term. You can't keep threatening someone that your job or someone will be lost. After a, a few times of that, they give up. They say, take your job and shove. So it's positive motivation is the key to them. And then going to the fourth issue, which I've always felt is the most important, is that after you, you, you recruit good people, you train them, you motivate them, you have to keep them focused. And you have to keep them focused on what your goals are, not their goals. A lot of people think that you know, just as long as we're working, they're doing good, but if you're not satisfying my goals as a boss, I'm in trouble. If, you, if you've ever worked in sales, for example, and most people who are in sales have multi-product sales, the salesman will typically sell whatever is the easiest product, or the one with the easiest biggest commission. Now, that's his goal, but that may not be the company's goal, it may not be your goal. Maybe your boss has told you your goal this year is to sell product X instead of Y. You have to keep the salesman focused on where you want him to be as opposed to your goal. 
That's a, that's a difficult one. Does that link with motivation? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. But, but even, even without motivation, you have to watch, watch it. You have to keep focused all the time. If they'll go and do the easy thing. Now, if I was to give you three tasks to do, if I was to ask you to write a, uh, a 1,000 word essay on the creation of life, or if I was to ask you to polish your shoes, or the third thing was a sharpened pencil, chances are you would start on the two easy things. Very few people would start off on the, on the thousand word essay. Yeah. Because that's the way we go. We always want to do the easy things first. And that's what most people want to do in the employment. They want to do the easy things first, thinking, I'll get to the tough ones later on. That's why you keep them focused on the tough ones, not on the easy ones. So would you say that you're looking for people that are willing to go for the tough first or in your recruitment, if you go back to recruitment? If you, if you can sense it in a person, then great, but it's very difficult. You really can't tell why you're recruiting. You look at his history, or the person's history, what they did in the past, and they, but of course you look at their resume, and their resumes are always full of good things, never bad things. Uh, it's very difficult when you try to, to call the, the former employer because you don't know what the relationship was. Maybe the employer was mad at them and saying bad things. You just don't know until you really uh, bring them aboard. And um, it doesn't take long before you know if you, you had a good recruit. If it's a weak recruit, you'll know within a few months. And the old thing, cut your losses fast. If it's, if it's not there, don't try to nurse them along. Just make the cut and go on. There's something new. Do you think that's more important for entrepreneurs than oh, yeah. big companies? Yeah. Entrepreneurs don't have any money. They can't waste money. Big multinationals have billions of dollars. They can sit and wait for years. Not a small guy. He has to cut fast. So if, if somebody's listening to this isn't an entrepreneur themselves, but they're thinking of working with an entrepreneur, um, how, what approach do you think they should take to their job? Do you think they should go in relaxed, or do you think they should put lots of effort in? Oh, oh you know, lots of effort. I mean, listen, you're going to go to work for a small company, a company that hopefully has a lot of promise. So you have a choice. Either you can ask for a salary, or you can take a risk and say, I'd rather be paid in warrants for stock and a reasonable salary so I can live and eat. But, but the long shot is on stock. When we take a look at people like Facebook and so on, the day they went public, they made millionaires out of dozens and dozens and dozens of people. If I was to go to work today for a small, promising company, that's exactly what I would do. I, I, I would take the long view, go for a stock options, little pay, and take a gamble. That, that's me. I'm a gambler. So. so you'd advise, the, on, the other, on the reverse side, you'd advise entrepreneurs to think about rewarding their employees or their partners in that way? Well, I'll tell you what. You, you take a look at Zuckerberg with, with Facebook. He gave away billions of dollars to all those people. He asked him, you know, would you have rather kept that billions of dollars yourself and just paid those people salaries? He would say yes, but in the beginning, you didn't have any money. You really don't have an option. If you're starting off with small business and you need money, there's only two ways you can raise money in this world. One is to borrow it, and the other is to sell something. 
And that's what he did. He sold part of his company so he could have the employees. In the long run, the employees made off well. Of course, he made up well, too. But uh, that's the only way you can raise money, borrow or sell something. Another thing you mentioned yesterday was that companies can fail because they don't know how they're going to raise or how they generate revenue, how they actually make money. Is that's that... right. They don't uh, um, really pay attention to the business model. And when you're writing that business plan, it has to include in detail the business model, how you're going to make money, how it's going to work. Everything from the, the moment you buy inventory to, to the final day you pay your taxes, there has to be a model. That's a critical thing. People try models that fail. If the failure is rather small, then you give it a second shot. But if the model doesn't work, as I said yesterday, fail fast. Admit it to yourself, this model doesn't work, and I'm going to go somewhere else and try something else. Simple as that. But you mentioned um, if you were going to go into business today earlier, you would um, take the risk because you're a gambler. So could you expand on that? How would some, if you were in, say, starting your career out now, starting a business now, how would you approach it from, your, from the experience you have from before? Well, let me tell you this story. I first came to China when I was a sales manager in 1980. And I was in the banking business, and our, our company wanted to start off with a, with a banking relationship in China. We were invited to send a representative to China to discuss banking relationships. And I arrived here in Shanghai, I forget the month, but it was in 1980. And Shanghai was certainly was not the city as you see today. It was beat up, dirty, confusing, and so on. And, but I saw at the time great potential. Now you asked about a gambler. If I would have really been smart, really smart, I would have quit my job and moved to China in 1980. If I would have, I'd be a multi-multi-billionaire by now. Was I a gambler? I wasn't a stupid gambler. And I was making good money in my position, had a nice job. But now when I think back, oh, I should have done it. And when you say gambler, you don't mean the kind of guy who's going to Las Vegas and putting everything on yeah. the red. I'm talking about an intelligent person who's prepared to take a risk, not a gamble. Uh, but I've always been a risk taker. And uh, uh, my wife has, uh, has owned a number of, of businesses, all been successful, because she's also a risk taker. Uh, so I, if I see something that's good, I'll go for it. I mean, if they dump me a, a full house, I'll, I'll put all the chips in and go for it. So, so where would you go today from what you see around? Well, China still has decades of growth. I tell you, if you're really smart, I tell you, Brazil also has a lot of growth. But Brazil has a lot more problems than China. I think there's a lot more money to be made in Africa right now. Right now, Africa is making it very wealthy. That's where I go. Go to Africa. Great middle class coming up, just like in China. 
the middle class needs everything. They need everything from automobiles to toothbrushes. You name it. The only problem with Africa, as I see it, is the risk of civil wars. Because you never had that in China. You don't have that in Vietnam. You, you don't have it in India. Pakistan, kind of flaky. Just to wrap up now, um, what would you advise an entrepreneur um, generally in terms of approaching a business? Um, what well, would you be your, if you were, if somebody said to you, I, I'm about to start a business, what's the number one or number three point you would say, this is what you should take care of first? Well, number one, do your research. Research, research, research. I mean, it's, it's, it's a risk to go into business and you want to have everything going for you. Don't risk your money unless you really have a great business model. And discuss your business model with everyone you know. Don't don't worry about someone taking your idea and running with it. Talk to your barber, your brothers, your relatives. Explain in detail what I have here. If there's any flaws in it, hopefully one of them will tell you what the flaw is, and then you correct it. But you don't want to lose your money trying to create your business model by starting the business without it being proven. I gave you, yesterday I mentioned the, uh, the the shoe company, Zippos, where they did the test on the shoes. Without having no shoes in their, uh, in their inventory, yeah. they went out and sold shoes. That's the same thing you should do. Go out and sell your product with no inventory. If someone buys it, buy it retail and ship it to them, even if you have to take a loss, at least you want to test your models. And that's it. Test, test, test. Don't open that front door unless you know that models are going to work. That would be my advice. You're very lucky if your business plan works that well, yeah. that you stick through for 18 months. Typically, within weeks, you find there's a problem with it. And once again, if it's a minor problem, you correct it and you're going. But if it's a major, a major problem, and you've written a bad business plan and a bad model, then cut your losses and say goodbye and leave. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Thomas. I appreciate it. I hope to see you again, okay? Yeah, Bye. and um, we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Thanks. That was Thomas Koenig discussing his five reasons why businesses fail. Thomas also gave us the reasons why he believes that entrepreneurs are the future for jobs, the importance of creating a business plan that contains a business model in order to be successful. He also told us about the three approaches that an entrepreneur can call upon to compete in the marketplace unique product or service, price, and customer service. The approach he would take to creating a business based on the advantages and disadvantages of each and why he thinks customer service is the logical road to business success. Thomas finally ended with the advice that research and testing were just as important for an entrepreneur's success. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the conversation as much as we did making it. This is Neville J. McKenzie, ending the 13th AsiaBizStories.com's Entrepreneurs in Action. This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to AsiaBizStories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories Entrepreneurs in Action.